0: You are listening to The Happy Gynecologist with your host, Amanda Miles, MD. Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Happy Gynecologist Podcast, episode number 159. Do you give 200%? All right, friends, so glad to have you back. Today, I want to talk about something that has kind of been floating around in my head for quite a while, actually. Um, and I'll do this from time to time. I will kind of spend a lot of time and energy thinking about a topic, and how to talk to you guys about it. Um, Usually it's something that's like bothering me. And so I have to kind of process it. And then once I get it processed, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to share it. (laughs) And, and it's about how much we work and how hard we work, not only in medicine, but as OBGYNs. Because every single one of you out there that is an OBGYN, you know, what our life is like, and anybody out there that's just in medicine, you know what our life is like, and I I think that I've been, like, wanting to talk about this, and um, so I've been kind of exploring some perspectives on this, and um, to mostly try to come to grips with this myself, and I think part of why I needed to do that was because I've come to the realization, like, I'm not okay with how that's going, (laughs) And so that that's my big decision, right? It's like, okay, I'm not okay with this, right? And who is, right? Who's okay with like working your ass off all the time? Um and I think, you know, for for a lot of us out there, we really enjoy working actually. And so it's it's not always a bad thing. So I don't want you to think that I'm like railing against our job or medicine or helping others, like I am very passionate for what I do. I enjoy working. um, And and sometimes I enjoy working so much that I will overwork because I do enjoy it. But a lot of times whenever I find myself overworking um, or I find myself really working and not recovering um, or not allowing myself to rest, um, it kind of comes down to a lot of the belief systems that we as physicians or we as providers or we in medicine as a system have. And I think that, you know, those belief systems kind of set the tone for, you know, how much we are expected to work by the system, but also how much we expect ourselves to work, or how much we expect the people around us to work, right? Um, and so I think that this this kind of whole system of, of beliefs about work. Um, and how much and what's what's good enough and what we should be doing and what's good care. You know, it, it's sometimes I think very confused. <laughs> and, you know, we're a part of that, but the system is, is definitely messed up in that regard. And so I think you know, in analyzing this, it definitely starts very early in our careers. Like we are used to foregoing things so that we can study. Um, and you know, we're used to foregoing things and be like, no, I can't. I have to study for step two or whatever it is, right? Um, the MCAT steps, whatever it was, our shelf exam in med school, um, once we get in, right? then' we're, so we're trained for a long time to put ourselves aside, um, to miss out, to, Uh, stay up late to study, right? We forgo our own human needs to study or to learn so that we can get to where we want to be, right? And then in residency, and maybe fellowship, right, we are told for four plus years that, well, 80 hours is what's safe, okay? That is the safe amount of work for you to do. And um, we're told kind of over and over that we have to limit it, because you know, we we had some bad things happen if you don't limit it, but also because there's still so many more work hours out there that are available, right? And so we have to limit it for patient safety, okay? Not for resident safety, but for patient safety. Um, and so, Uh, If you are if you are a current resident or maybe someone who went through residency and didn't have work hours, okay, um, I would invite you to go and do some research on the lawsuit that led to work hour restrictions, okay, um, because there was it it came from a lawsuit um, of from a family whose daughter um, there was a medication error and um, and the work hours were what were kind of blamed. Okay. And, um, and so, you know, was it a culmination? Uh, was it all work hours? Maybe, you know, was it exhaustion? Probably, um, you know, but but the way that we kind of viewed the outcome of that lawsuit as a medical community, I think is really interesting. And so, um, I won't dive into that, but definitely go Google that if you aren't familiar with how work hour restrictions came about. Um, I can't remember the name of the case right off the top of my head. I should have had that, but um, just go work, go Google it and it'll pop up, I guarantee you. Um, and so, so you know, we're, we're kind of told this for years and years, like we, we need to put ourselves aside. We need to work hard. Um, and then we're kind of told, okay, this is the safe amount, 80 hours. You shouldn't go more than that. Although a lot of people that worked during, you know, even if they had work hour restrictions, okay, um, even just a few few years ago, may have even been encouraged to, um, I don't want to say fib, uh, encouraged to push that boundary, okay? Like, I don't want to, like, call anybody out, but, like, medicine as a system and residencies as a system, there's always comments like, well, you know, a good resident would stay until the end of that case, um, voluntarily, not as, not as, you know, like on the clock, not on the, on the books, right? Um, you know, a good resident would really learn from this case because it's a once in a lifetime case, right? You know, stuff like that came up. Uh, more frequently than once in a lifetime, whenever I, you know, it, just an observation, right? Um, and so, whether that was for me, whether that was for friends and other programs that I heard about, right? Um, that wasn't that wasn't uncommon, right? And I don't know how it is right now. I guess I should probably pull residents out there right now, but I want you to just kind of think about that. Like, how many times do you hear little like suggestions that eighty hours isn't enough, right? And so I want you to just kind of pause right there and think about this just for a moment. Okay. How would a quote unquote normal person think about an 80 hour work week? Okay. Because 80 hours is technically two full-time jobs, (laughs) right? Technically that's two full-time jobs, right? But for us, that's just OBGYN normal, right? That's typical week, maybe a light week even for some people, right? And so think about that, and how that's viewed, and how the opinions of how many hours 80 is, that's very skewed from one group to another of different people. And so, you know, we have a lot of beliefs surrounding um, that 80 hour work week or that number, right? And, you know, whenever we graduate from residency, a lot of people actually, I think, end up working more than that, okay? It may not be a shift where you are running as hard as you were in residency, it's going to look different, right? It's more of a marathon shift, not a sprint, um, you know, for 16 hours or whatever it is, right? It's, it's, you know, uh, 12 hour days, Monday through Thursday, and then being on call for the weekend. Right. And so I want you to think about that. Like if you are working 12 hour days, Monday through Thursday, it is not hard to work 12 hour days. Um, Like if you have a C-section in the morning and you're up at the hospital, you know, by 6 30 or 7, and then you do clinic until five-ish, right? And you go home and maybe you chart for just a little bit after dinner. That's a 12-hour day easy. Okay. That's a very typical day for most of us. And it, you know, I I didn't even say that, you know, maybe you get called in for delivery later that night, right? Um So let's say that you just do 12-hour days, Monday through Thursday, and then you're on call Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, that's 120 hours of work. That's three full-time jobs, okay, for the quote-unquote normal person. And so that's without me throwing any middle-of-the-night deliveries during the week, which I know would also be very normal for many of you out there with smaller call groups or those of you that deliver your own patients, right? And a lot of you will say, yeah, but I don't work the whole 72 hours straight on a weekend, right? No, but your brain is working. (laughs) You're not resting well because your brain is turned on. It's ready to go. It's in work mode, right? It's not the same as a weekend off where you can truly be at peace and rest and recover. And so if your brain's in work mode, guess what? You're working. (laughs) <laughs> Whether you're on the clock or not, you are working, my friend. Whether you think you're working or not, you are. If your brain is in work mode, okay. And so that's that's, you know, you are gonna feel as exhausted as if you are working, okay. And so I think that it's interesting because we are routinely used to giving two hundred percent, maybe three hundred percent. This is like the norm. It's totally normal, right? And that's just how medicine is, right? We, that's what we're told. That's what we say. We worked hard to get here, <laughs> right? We wouldn't be here if we didn't work like that. But then we get here and we are really, you know, conditioned essentially to think that this is normal and that we should be proud to work that much because we are helping so many people. And if we didn't have that kind of work ethic, we wouldn't have made it this far. And while all of those also feel very true, they also kind of support this narrative that that's how it should be and it shouldn't change and it's fine, right? And so I want you to kind of think of this differently, okay? And or at least question this. So I have a question for you. Like, if you were, let's say you were reading the Wall Street Journal, and you're reading an article about airline pilots. And you come across a a statistic that says, Oh, there's a shortage of airline pilots, which there is. And the airline system in the U.S. is kind of a mess, which it is. And hmm, that feels very similar to medicine right now, right? <laughs> so, okay, well, what if for pilots, they start lifting the work hour restrictions that were pre- like previously set in place for pilots and crews? That way, there won't have to be this mass cancellation of flights, and everybody will still have a flight, everyone will get um, where they need to be. Right? Um, so everybody will get taken care of. Right? So what if it said <laughs> that these work hour restrictions that are currently in place would be changed so that pilots could continue working, even if they were tired or exhausted? Right? Even if that's like they were just um, you know, on a, a, a long shift, like 24-hour shift, or a 36-hour shift, or a 72-hour shift. It'd still be okay if they worked, even if they were tired or exhausted, right? What if I also told you in that same article that 80% of aviation accidents are a result of human error, <laughs> and a large proportion of those are due to pilot fatigue, right? Given all of that, how would you feel about getting on a plane if you knew that those statistics um, existed and that your pilot was allowed to work shifts like we do, right? Would you want that for your pilot? Would you want that for yourself getting on a plane? (laughs) I don't think I would. Um, so I want you to really think about that. Not just me playing devil's advocate here. Like what, what would the public think if that's how it was, Right. And so, you know, I want you to kind of think about that. How comfortable would you be getting on a plane if a pilot had just worked a 72-hour weekend and they don't have a post-call day? (laughs) So now they're flying your plane, right? And, you know, hey, maybe they got a nap here and there on their 72-hour weekend, right? That's what we say. (laughs) I got a nap here and there. It wasn't so bad, right? It wasn't even that bad of a weekend. I've had worse. (laughs) How comfortable would you feel? right instead of getting adequate rest and only working certain hours that they did what most of us do whenever we are tired from call instead right so what do, what are we doing whenever we're exhausted post call and we have to we have to do another delivery or see patients in the clinic or even operate right we have another coffee and we push through that's what we're taught we drink an extra bottle of water we do some jumping jacks to get our blood moving right Maybe we take a 15-minute nap in the floor of our office before the C-section so that we're nice and refreshed. (laughs) I say refreshed, like, with quotes, air quotes, refreshed. (laughs) What would you think about pilots pushing through like we do? Like, like, F that, no. (laughs) I don't, I don't, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, like, what, you know, we are all thinking whenever we do this. We think that we are, you know, above other people that we have magical abilities to push through. We have magical abilities to um, be at, on our a game or at the top of our game whenever we're exhausted, and we we think that. And there's even studies out there that say that um, you know sleep deprivation doesn't worsen our outcomes. I I'm just gonna call bullshit. I don't know what the data is. If and if if one of you guys wrote that paper. I'd love to have a conversation with you, because there is something confounding that, okay? I, you know, there are multiple studies out there that sleep deprivation and, and, you know, and driving is like driving drunk, Right over the legal limit um, if you take, you know, certain amount of hours of sleep deprivation. And it's not that many. I can't remember if it's just like a 24-hour shift or it's maybe less. Like if you just go on like four hours of sleep, I can't remember what the number is. I may have even said it here before. But um, it's like if you have less sleep than normal, you're almost like legally driving drunk almost. So I, I call it bullshit. So... <laughs> I, I just want you guys to think about this, though, okay, because and, I, and I'm probably going to be having people reach out to me and arguing about this podcast. And I, I think that's cool. I love to I love to discuss I don't want to say argue like we, we all have opinions and we all have, you know, uh, what we know what we know, but we don't know what we don't know, right. And so, um, you know, maybe there is, you know, this huge body of research, and I'm just wrong, but I still want to call bullshit on that. I really do, and I anticipate that. Yeah, like there's people will will reach out, I'm sure, and say, yeah, but um, there's research out there that you know the work hour restrictions on residents it it doesn't make a difference in outcomes, and maybe it worsens things because there's more handoffs and all this stuff, right? And what I want you to also consider is that whenever we do research like this. We're doing it within a closed system. We're doing it in a system that is set up to believe that working less is wrong. Okay. And that is like one of the core belief systems. And, you know, I know that a lot of us were taught that workout restrictions made our education as physicians worse. Um, Some of us out there were repeatedly told that it wasn't good for us um, that we would be worse doctors for even, and that we wouldn't have the skills that we needed. Um, there was, and maybe there still is, you know, talk about extending residency because of the workout restrictions, because there's no way that we could be, you know, decent surgeons. Um, and so I, I think that we also need to consider, if we are told that or we tell our residents that, we tell our trainees this over and over and over, like you are not going to be good because you um, you are playing by the rules and you're working 80 hours. Well, guess what? That does to someone's confidence. <laughs> guess what that does to their learning whenever you're told that the whole time? They're going to come out of their training thinking, well, there's no way I can be good enough because I had these work hours, right? And so, so just kind of as a, as a thought, right? And so to, you know, and to all the arguments that I do get against decreasing um, work hours or that for from people that are for longer hours for residents or trainees, I would ask you, you need to look at resident depression rates, you need to consider physician suicide rates, um, and resident depression rates, because it is, um, it is not good. It is not good out there friends. And so I want you to just to consider that perhaps there's a different way. Perhaps the way we've been taught wasn't actually designed in the name of good resident education or good patient care. Um, and I was reminded of this recently, uh, by a fellow doc who, uh, reminded me about how surgical residency training programs were actually created. And I actually kind of went on a, on a crazy deep dive on this, but, um, I I hadn't really read the story of William Halstead. Um, I'd heard about, you know, I've heard about like, you know, like the four horsemen at John Hopkins, you know, the four main people. So for OBGYNs, that's Kelly. Um, And then Osler is the one that I had always heard about um, when we're talking like medical history and who created residency programs. But William Halstead developed, uh, you know, a residency training program at Johns Hopkins that, you know, with some modifications – essentially became the model for surgical residency training in the U.S., in North America. And he initially modeled it after German programs, which they all did, um, that they observed. But also, also, Halstead designed his residency program for surgery residents in a way so as to cover up his, uh, they call it accidental cocaine addiction. <laughs> he, an, he had an accidental cocaine addiction Um after supposedly testing some cocaine uh, as an anesthetic, right? So he tested it on himself (laughs) and accidentally got addicted to coke. And he then designed a residency program to cover that up (laughs) so that people wouldn't know. So he had all these people below him um, doing all kinds of work so that he would be seen in a positive light and all this stuff. But So I'll let you... I'll let you go read about that if you want to go. Just Google William Halstead's addiction, and there's a nice uh, article that comes up. I think it's on the NIH website, and it, it just really makes you wonder, like if that's how it all started, why are we still doing this to ourselves? Why are we still, why are we still operating in a way um, that was designed by cocaine addicts? Because obviously, <laughs> that's not great. And maybe, just maybe that's not sustainable. (laughs) If we're not all high on coke, it might not be sustainable or healthy, right? And so I I get really riled up on this, because I just, I think it's just interesting that, you know, we're all taught that this is the best way, and this is the right way for a long time. And then we kind of, you kind of gain some awareness of like why that was created, and how hard it is on us to give 200% or 300% all the time. And so then you make some changes or you decide to make a change. The problem is when the whole belief system surrounding you and the whole medical system surrounding you is still locked in on thinking that's the norm, that's what we signed up for, right? Then it's hard to make a change because other people around you don't understand. Okay. And I see it time and again, like with Docs I coach or people that reach out, um, if someone like cuts back at work for various reasons, maybe it's even for health reasons, right? Um, this happened to me whenever I had to take um, some extended downtime for cervical insufficiency with the twins. Um, I was judged very harshly. And that's not that's not just like me like judging myself for not being a good worker and a good doctor. I definitely did a lot of that. But like words were said to me that told me I wasn't being a good doctor. Um, you know that that was explicitly stated in multiple ways and that is not I'm not the only one. Um, that is happening every day out there. People will will tell me like, yeah, I had to cut back um, for my health. I had this health problem develop um, and I had to, cut back. Um I had to stop taking call. Um, and they feel terribly judged. And they people will tell them like, like, they're not pulling their weight. Um, they're letting their whole team down. Um, I saw a post on on a Facebook group recently, like, um, if someone had to stop taking call within a group, how would the, you know, how would other docs, you know, address that? And a lot of the answers were like that wouldn't be tolerated in my group. And I just, I hate to see that answer because, because that, that, is, that is the system of medicine and, and the beliefs that we've been taught, okay? That's not us caring for our, our teammate, okay? Um, and so I think that, you know, whenever someone does make that decision to cut back or change your hours, I want to offer you this, like other people don't know about your life, And they don't get to have an opinion on how you live your life or what's best for you. So if you're doing what's best for you, no one else can determine that. Okay, no one else has an opinion on that. No one else can, can have a say on that. So maybe they're confused about what's going on. Okay. And what I want you to know is that you can let them be confused about that. Okay, they don't have to understand what's best for you. um, And they can be confused. And and that's okay. Okay, it's not it, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person for doing what's best for you. Okay. And for those out there that, that think that, that we have to give 200% every day. What I want you to know is that, well, some days, we're only at 15% in the tank to give. Right? There's days like that. Some days, our battery power is only at 15%. Because what if, if we then give that 15%, we have still given 100% of what was available. Okay, Because we can't sustain giving more than we have to give. We cannot sustain that. It's not sustainable. All right? And for those of you out there having a bunch of kind of thoughts about this episode, like, uh, no, this is just what we do. We have to. Um, we wouldn't be here if we didn't. It wouldn't work. There'd be too much to do. Whatever. Okay. Whatever. That's fine. Okay. But what if there is a better way? Right? What if giving 200%, 300% isn't the only way to be a good doctor. What if draining ourselves to exhaustion wasn't the only way to be a good doctor? What if there's a better way? And I don't really have a moral to this episode, except that to make medicine better, we're all going to have to start questioning it. We just, we need to reflect on, okay, this is what the social norm is. This is how the system is, but is that still serving us well? is this still really what we need to grow and move forward in a way that's healthy, right? Do we still need the same system that was set up for cocaine addicts, (laughs) right? You know, and so I, I think that that's true of any thought that you find yourself having, you know, questioning it. Is, is this thought still serving me well? Is it helping me move forward? Is it helping me grow? Is it helping me do those things in a healthy way? Right? So I'm gonna leave you with that, but I'm also gonna leave you with if if this episode hit home, or you're someone that finds yourself having a lot of dread or anxiety, or feeling like you're really giving 203 3 percent all the time, uh, you know, 200 or 300 percent all the time. Um, I want you, I want you to go get my free calm call checklist. Okay, go over to coach-miles.com forward slash checklist. I'll put the link in the episode show notes, and go get your free copy so you can start decreasing all of that anxiety and call dread and start working on, you know, taking care of you in an easy to do, super easy, systematic way. And, and who doesn't like a good checklist? (laughs) All right, friend, I will talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in remember you can always get more free help from me by going to my website www.coach-miles.com and clicking on free resources if this work has helped you and you're interested in learning more about getting out of burnout and up leveling your life as an ob definitely check out my six-month coaching program the happy gynecologist group you can always get more information on my website coach-miles.com